let's uh, praise God uh, that we can, that we are coming together and we are seeking his kingdom first as we come to this place tonight. We're turning in our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, please, in chapter 5 this evening. Nehemiah in chapter 5. Our title this evening is Sin in the Camp. Sin in the Camp. Nehemiah chapter 5, please, and we'll read from the verse 1. The people are coming to Nehemiah, and we read of it here in verse 1 of chapter 5, and it says, And there and there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For there were that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn for them, that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands vineyards and houses that we might buy corn because of the dirt. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. <coughs> then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of, us, every one of his brothers. And I said a great assembly against them. And I said unto them, We after our ability have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen, and will ye sell your brethren, or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace, and found nothing to answer. Also I said, It is not good that it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? I likewise, and my brethren, and my servants, might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Restore, I pray you, to them even this day their lands and their vineyards, their olive yards and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money, and of the corn, the wine, and the oil that ye exact of them. Then said they, We will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them, they that should do according to his promise. Also I shook my lap and said, So God shake out every man from his house and from his labour that performeth not this promise, even thus he be he shaken out and empty. And all the congregation said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. We have been in quite a journey over these weeks as we have travelled through the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had arrived in Jerusalem and the great work of building the wall had burdened him. And he charged the people to help build the wall. And to their lasting credit up to this point it has to be said that they gave themselves to the task of building this wall without reserve. 
And we've watched them as they've built the whole, the whole way around. It's now completed halfway. They've got to the halfway point. And they've been building well. And last week they came under challenges from outside. And they kept going. We've been challenged many times over these weeks that our task is to be building our own spiritual walls and also to be involved in the building of the church of the living God. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the responsibility and command to every child of God. You have a purpose here to reach out with the glorious gospel for Christ has said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And over the past weeks, we've continually seen and learned that service for the Lord is costly. And that's how it was in Nehemiah's day, and that's how it is today. And that as we enter into our passage this evening, these were difficult days in Jerusalem. Not only was there a fa- were there famine conditions in the land, but the people had been forced to neglect their normal occupations because of the urgency of the building of this wall. And this caused problems, and we're going to discover those in a few moments' time. As we consider where we've been in recent weeks, we've noted that there was plenty of opposition outside the walls. But now there was trouble inside the walls. We're going to find that there was sin in the camp. And I want you to see firstly here uh, that there was unbrotherly conduct. Unbrotherly conduct. It It has to be said that The weapons that Satan had thrown at the man of God and the people of God so far in the book of Nehemiah had ultimately failed. And they had come very close to succeeding. Many times, many times they had been discouraged. Many times the people had almost given up, but they kept going. But there's a foe that we're going to look at this evening. And this foe nearly succeeded in stopping the work altogether. And this is a foe that has split many a local church fellowship in these days. This is a foe that has closed many a local church. And this enemy caused the people of Judah almost to down tools all over again. It caused them to fall. And let me caution you before we go any further, because in some respects we couldn't even call this Satan's weapon tonight. The reason being that what we find in the passage is the factor that stopped God's work in the building of these walls was located in the very breasts of God's people. It was not owned by Satan. It was owned by God's people and it was found in their hearts and admittedly Satan found it and exploited it. He does whatever he finds in their hearts but nevertheless the people owned it themselves. Do you know what it was? It was great. It was great. Look at verse 1. There was a great cry of the people and their wives against their brethren, the Jews. The situation in Jerusalem was dire. Some people have suggested that the people in this verse, it suggests that the people were going on strike. And in fact, quite a few commentators suggest that. I'm not so sure. The work certainly would have slowed as the people cried out and as they began to become concerned about their resources being exploited by those who were wealthy, but there's no suggestion in the passage that the work and the building of the walls stopped. They did come to Nehemiah, and they, they, they made them aware of the trouble that was going on, but I don't believe they went on strike. But I do believe that this would have caused 
the world, the, the progress of the world is slow. You see, what was happening here was there was an absence of brotherly kindness. And the wealthy were, were, were taking advantage of their poor brethren. Because of this, the people were struggling to feed their families and they were struggling to pay the king's tribute. So the first thing we find in verse 2 is that they say to Nehemiah, We are sons and our daughters are many, and therefore we take up corn for them that they may eat and live. The people had large families, and they had to feed those large families, and there wasn't enough food within the city to feed them. There was a famine going on in the land. It was very simple. There wasn't enough resources to go around, and the poorer families were beginning to suffer. If you're working and you couldn't feed your family, you would have a right to complain to your employer that you couldn't do so when you needed more. If it's genuine, of course. This is what the people were doing. And now here's the second reason why the people cried out. It's found in verse 3. Some also, some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, our vineyards, and our houses, that we might buy corn because of this dirt. Others owned property, and they were saying, We've had, to, we've had to remortgage our houses and our land and everything because of this inflation. Uh, boy, it sounds like our day, all right, in chapter 5 of Nehemiah. And all was going around on here. And the people, they were just struggling to, to keep up with the inflation that was going on in the land. And then in verses 4 and 5, and they also go on and say that there was also those that also said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute. And upon our lands and upon our vineyards, you see, King Ataxerxes was taxing the people in Judah. Remember that he was in charge of the city of Jerusalem, and he had provided many of the resources that the people needed to rebuild the walls. It was King Ataxerxes that gave Nehemiah permission to go. Remember, Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, and they had to pay their tax to the king still. And in verse 5 it says there, Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our part to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. What's happening here? Well, those that owe money to had to come, those that owed the money, they had to come and they had to take their land. And when there was no more land to give, what happened was the people that they were owing took their sons and daughters as their servants and all their cattle and all their animals instead of the repayment. And what you can see is happening here is the rich among the Jews, that there was a serious flood. There was serious sin going on. Instead of giving up what they, instead of giving help to those who were in need, in God's work and in allowing God's work to continue, they exploited those who were struggling. Rather than helping with the wall, their greed was hindering the work. They were involved in materialism. Materialism was their God. I wonder today, is materialism your God? There are many signs in Scripture. The Scripture tells us to look for to know that we're living in the last of the last days. There's one that's clear to see in these closing days of grace, and it's that of materialism and greed within God's people, hindering God's work in the way he wants it done. The Laodicean church was told in Revelation 3 and verse 17 that they were rich and they increased in goods and they were in need of nothing. That's where they were living, materialistic life. 
Materialism will be, and indeed already is, a great issue today in the church. It has a debilitating effect on the church's testimony. I wonder, do you remember the first trouble that Israel had when they entered the Promised Land? Do you remember it? Joshua had led them across there, the River Jordan, and they had a great success. And God had promised Joshua, I'm going to be with you just the way I was with Moses. I'm going to be with you too. And the Lord had proven that to Joshua, and they had crossed the River Jordan, and they had entered the Promised Land just as God had promised. And the first problem, the first problem that happened was that there was a man called Achan. And he was a materialistic man. And there, there they had entered the land and he decided that he would take a wedge of gold. And he would take a Babylonian garment. And sin entered the camp because of Achan's materialism. And then again we can think back to the first intervention of God by judgment in the New Testament, in the New Testament church. Do you remember Ananias and Sophia? They conspired together to keep back part of the price and they lied to the Spirit of God. They were judged. They fell dead. And now in the chapter before us, it's materialism that caused the first real issue to rise among the people of God. Can you see it? Sambalik's not mentioned anymore. He's out of the way. He's done. He's given up. He had come with his armies. He'd come to attack and they'd overcome that. And you would think now in chapter 5, after all that went on in chapter 4, after being introduced to Sambalik in chapter 2, and all that he had done and said, you would think now that they dealt with that, that they could get on with the work. But no, instead it's within the people of God. There was sin in the camp. And it was going to hinder the work of God. Let me make something clear tonight. Money itself. I want you to listen to this. Money itself is neither godly or ungodly. It's neutral. But the love of money is the root of all evil. I wonder is there a strand of materialism in your life that you need to be careful of? That robs God of his throne in your life. I wonder does your love of money cause you to twiddle the figures with the tax man? Or does it cause you to stick the foot in when you're charging someone for a job that you did? You see I want to tell you that there were laws that the Lord had put in place many years before this happened in chapter 5 of Nehemiah. You see, in Leviticus chapter 25, in verses 35 and 36, we read these words. It says, And if any brother be waxen poor, and fallen in decay with thee, in other words, they owe you, if any brother owes you money that you have lent them, then thou shalt relieve him. Yes, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he might live with thee, take thou no usury of him, or increase, in other words, don't charge him interest. But fear thy God, that thy brother may live with thee. And just quickly, I want to point out a couple of passages where the law was set. This is law that God set. And in Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 23, and Leviticus 25, where we've just read from, it gives rules and regulations for God's Old Testament people with regards to lending money. 
And here's four of the main rules that they were given. Number one, it's not wrong to lend money to a non-Jew for interest. So you could lend money to a Gentile for interest uh, to get back again on the money when it came back to you. It wasn't wrong to lend to a Gentile and charge them interest. Number two, it wasn't wrong to lend money to a Jew. Uh, three, it was wrong to demand interest on a loan to a Jew. You can lend them money, but you're not allowed to take interest from a Jewish brother if you were a Jew. And fourthly, it's wrong to enslave a fellow Jew. In other words, if someone can't pay, pay you back, you couldn't take him and his family to work for you. That was wrong. And that's exactly all the laws that were being disobeyed in this chapter. Because what was happening was that the richer Jewish folk were charging the poorer Jewish folk. And when the poorer Jewish folk couldn't pay them back, they were saying, we're going to charge you back with interest. And if you can't pay back, well, what we're going to do is we're going to take your children first, then you're going to come and you're going to work for us and you're going to be our servants. And that was directly against the law of God that had been set for them. They were disregarding these laws and they weren't caring for one another and they were causing great hurt to one another. Here in our local assembly, we should be a caring community. We need to remember to have a heart for the person in the pew. So often we think about those who are outside of Christ and rightly so because we're commanded to. So often we pray for those in the area around us and rightly so because we should have a burden for the lost. But we should have a burden for one another as well. And a love for one another as well. And sometimes that emphasis I think is lost. You know, we, I could list many verses to you this evening. I, we could think of some of the things that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He said, be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted. Ephesians 4.32. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, we read, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. In Colossians 3, verse 12, we read, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies and kindness. We read in 1 John 3, verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Then James writes this, If a brother or sister be naked, and destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, ye give them not these things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? We need to be a caring community. We need to love one another. Let me tell you something. Brotherly, brotherly love for one another is a sure sign of a gospel fellowship. When people come through the doors of Green's Baptist Church, I hope that we are a good witness and testimony that they see that we're a people who unconditionally love one another. Because that's a mark of a, of a church where Christ is central. Unbrotherly love was found in the camp. Sin was in the camp. But then Nehemiah, he came and he protested against it. And there was an uncompromising protest. I want you to see that Nehemiah, he was angry. 
He was angry. And when the people came to Nehemiah, you can see that he was a good leader. Because he didn't turn to them and say, would you go and get on with your work or you'll lose your job? That's not what he did. He took a step back and he listened to their complaints. And it says here in the scriptures that he seized up the situation. He, he, he sized up the situation. He decided, and then he decided what way to go. And isn't it true sometimes that when people come to us that we don't consider all that's going on and sometimes we can murmur and complain about others when we don't know what's going on in the background of their lives. And I want you to see that Nehemiah, he didn't retort to the people. He took a step back. He listened to what they had to say and he didn't react immediately. He didn't say anything immediately. He took a step back and he thought about it. But after thinking about it in verse 6, we find that Nehemiah was angry. He says, and I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Now we're all guilty of being angry, too often. And it's a hard thing to be angry in the right sense, towards the right things, isn't it? We get angry at the wrong things and we get angry in the wrong sense and our anger sometimes boils over to hate. But remember what Paul said in Ephesians, he said, be ye angry and sin not. Here we have Nehemiah and he's being angry. But he's being angry in the right sense. He sees that God's people are going against God's word. And Nehemiah's anger is a righteous anger. Because he sees the exploitation of those who were poor and he's not one bit happy about it. Here he is, and he's not happy. They'd forgotten the law of Moses. They disregarded it. And I want you to see Nehemiah's action. So there was his anger, and now Nehemiah's action. Here's what he did. He says in verse 7, Then I consulted with myself. Presumably, there was no one else he could consult with. He says, I consulted with myself. He took a step back, he thought about it. And I think when you read that word, that he consulted with himself, you can see the response to it in verse 19 where he says, Think upon me, my God, for good, is what he says later on. Think upon me, my God, for good. And I believe he would have made a prayer like that maybe in this moment as he consulted with himself. Nehemiah, he evidently reflected on the problem before him. And he was never a hasty planner. We've learned that throughout. He followed David's advice in Psalm 4, 4, where David said, Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. And James would certainly approve of what Nehemiah did in this instance, even in his anger, because James says to each of us, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, let every man be swept to hear, slow to speak, Slow to wrath. I'll tell you, many occasions we would do well to be slow to speak and take time to think. And Nehemiah, he goes on here and he says, I consulted with myself. He took his moment. And then he says, And I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother. 
There was anger, there was contemplation, but then there was resolution. Because what he did was he came and he understood the situation. And he came in strong and he said, you're doing wrong. And you need to sort this. And that takes a strong leader. He came and he confronted those who were sinning. Can I tell you something? If you're aware of someone who is sinning, and you remain silent, you're also sinning. You're aware of someone living in sin. Just like Nehemiah, you need to confront them. Not, not to discourage them, but to encourage them to get back into the way and to live for God. But I wonder, did you know that there's a sin of silence? Brothers and sisters, here's Nehemiah tonight, and he wasn't going to remain silent. He became aware of the problem. And he confronted it. He thought carefully about it. Didn't react straight away. But he went. And he confronted it. And he went and he told the people three things. Three things. He, he said stop. He told them to correct it. And he told them to commit. And we find here that the people responded with unreserved obedience. You know, I think it's lovely when we see that there was sin at the start in these verses. Then they were rebuked. And then by the time we get to 13, verse 13, the people are praising God together again. I think that's lovely. You know, it's almost, you could call it, going from hurt to hallelujah. The people were hurt. And then things were restored. And then they were praising God in true fellowship again. The message of Nehemiah in this passage was that he was angry with the people. And a simple message with this, if there's sin in your life, get rid of it. He said, you Judeans, if you're exploiting your brethren, if you have slaves, a slaves that's against God's law, you need to finish it now and you need to get back to what you're meant to be doing, obeying God's law and building this wall. Number one, he said, stop. Is that simple in verse 10? Look at it, he says this. He says, I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Stop it, he says. Just leave off this usury. Stop using your people, your brethren. Stop it. And he just went to them and he said, stop. Now that's God's word for sin. If God's word says it's wrong, stop dabbling with it. You see, there's not a period to wait and to seek God to see whether something's right. Here's what we read in Matthew 5. It says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Stop it. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. And what what, what the, that, that passage is saying, what that verse is saying, that if there's any sin, cut it out. Throw it away. Get rid of sin. If in doubt, cut it out. Get rid of it. it it's, it's about quitting sin. And Nehemiah said, if we're going to be successful here, if God's going to continue to bless us, if we want this wall to be finished, you need to cut it out. You need to stop. Get rid of the sin. But it wasn't just quitting sin. There was a second thing. He corrected it. Because in verse 11, we read this, and he says this, Restore, I pray you, to them even this day. He says, give back what you've taken. 
Give back what you've taken. Correct what you've done. Don't just stop. Go back and fix the damage that you've caused. There's not just a quit, but there's a correct. You have to put right what has been done wrong. We're not too fond of that one, are we? Facing our problems. Facing the people that we have been problems to, perhaps. Nehemiah says you need to go back and you need to put corrections in place. He told the people, quit sinning, but go back and fix what you've done. And the final thing he told the people to do was commit. Now look at verse 12. I like what he does here. He doesn't just come to the person and say, hey, you're, you're going to keep going and, and you're going to fix this and that's it. No, no, he brings witnesses in. And he says, he would read here in verse 12, we will restore them and we'll, the people said, we will restore them and will require nothing of them and so we will do as thou sayest. The people says, yes, we'll do it, Nehemiah, no problem. But Nehemiah says, hold on a minute. And he calls the priests. And he makes them take an oath that they'll do according to the promise. And then he, he shook his lap, which is, sign, which is a sign saying this. Start at verse 13. I shook my lap. And what that's a sign in all this, that God would curse them if they didn't take the vow. Because it says there in verse 13, And I shook my lap and said, So God, shake out any man from this house and from his neighbour that performeth not this promise. Even thus he be shaken out and emptied. In other words, you don't keep this promise. You're getting kicked out. The answer to greed or any other sin in the life of the believer or the church that's hindering God's work is simply this. Quit it. Stop doing it. Have your corrections in place. Go back and fix the damage that you've done. And commit your way to the Lord again. You know, God willing, this time next year, the beginning of October, we plan on holding a gospel mission here in this hall. And throughout the year of 2023, in the Lord's will, if he spares us, we'll be having many special gospel efforts and special gospel nights. And if we want to see God blessing you, we need to start putting this in place now. We need to stop sinning. We need to be correcting the things that we've done wrong. And we need to be committing our way to the Lord. Let me tell you something. We could put in many an effort and many a night and we could sit in this place and it could be completely useless and futile if we're living in sin. And between you and the Lord, just know if there's any sin that would hinder a blessing, we need to put it right. You see, if we want God's glory to fall again, we need a revival in our own hearts. And we need God to move in our own hearts. Because we can sit and we can cry out to the Lord and ask him, Lord, why aren't you saving? 
Why are we not seeing many souls coming to you? And the first thing that the Lord might say back to you is you need to put that sin down. Maybe you're in a strife with a brother or sister in the assembly. Or maybe someone in the church is going, put it right, quit. Correct. Commit your way to the Lord. Maybe there's a sin that you've been dabbling in for a long time. And you know tonight that it's, it's marring your fellowship with the Lord. Quit. Correct. And commit your way to the Lord. For it's not until we're doing that and keeping short accounts with the Lord that we'll see the blessing fall. We're going to leave it there this evening. In a couple of Wednesdays we'll come back to this passage and we'd love to go on into the next part. You see, what I love about the next part, and maybe you can read it tonight before you go to sleep, is that Nehemiah, he actually lives out what he's encouraged the people to do there in verse 14 through to verse 19. He actually goes and he shows them and he's an example to them. And I think it's beautiful because he's a leader that leads by example. He's a leader who's a servant who works among the people. But God willing, and the Lord's will in a couple of weeks, we'll come to that and we'll think about Nehemiah's example. Let's